0: Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. I'm your host Kyle Fagella, and I'm excited that this morning Grant Dasher is going to help us kick off a five-week series on the topic of intimacy. Intimacy is the knowledge and understanding of a person and the degree to which that person knows you in return. So along those lines, we're going to look at four common relationships, the relationships with God, ourselves, our spouse and our family, and how knowing each person more deeply contributes to intimacy. For our fifth week, Bill is going to look at what happens when our knowledge of one another fails, and in that sense, our intimacy breaks down. I think it's going to be a wonderful series, and this morning, Grant's going to be looking at the topic of knowing your God. Uh, We'll have then three weeks by Dr. Kevin Shelby, who is a counselor and really an expert on intimacy, and he's going to look at knowing yourself, knowing your spouse and knowing your family, and then as I said, Bill Ivey will will wrap things up with the fifth week on looking at the breakdown of intimacy. But again, this morning, Grant Dash will be talking to us about knowing your God and finding more intimacy with God through that. So look forward to it. Grant is an excellent teacher. So let's go to Grant right now. Okay,
1: I think I got that. All right, so um, this past Friday afternoon, I'd been home from work for about an hour, and uh, the kids were outside playing, and I hear without question the most horrifying, blood-curdling series of screams that I've ever heard, um, sheer terror. And these are the kinds of screams that, upon hearing, I immediately assumed that someone was dead, in particular my son, Cohen, my four-year-old son, and I'm, I'm, it sounds like a joke, but I'm, I'm serious. Um, van was at the front door and she was screaming and my immediate immediate thought was that our neighbor's dogs were mauling cohen the dogs have already taken one life it's already happened a stray cat that walked into their backyard these dogs are mean um Anyway, the front door is dead bolted. Jessica is considering uh, busting out the window, which would have done nothing except for just busting out the window because you can't well, I didn't do it. You didn't do it. It was good good thinking. Um, and I run out the side door as fast as I can, and I just see Cohen standing there and he's just smiling. <laughs> I'm like, What well, yeah, I'm like trying to like, compute in my brain really quickly what's going on, and I can't. So I go over to Van who is totally hysterical, and she tells me what all the screaming was about she had set the neighbor's house alarm off. She like opened the door when they weren't home. Um, So Van's concept of reality is like, you know, way up here somewhere. And then actual reality is like probably, you know, down here somewhere. She knew without a shadow of a doubt that like the police were gonna come and they were gonna haul her off to jail. They were gonna you know lock her up and throw away the key. Like she was terrified, screaming and then my concept re- with, of reality was like somewhere up in the clouds like or like way up in the stratosphere like i knew i knew that cohen was dead like that was my my concept of reality and then there was cohen's concept of reality right <laughs> like cohen's concept of reality was like maybe somewhere below where real like where reality was like he like didn't see any problem with them setting off or with van setting off their their house alarm and, he, and probably judging by the, smi- the smile on his face i think he found a little bit of joy in it yeah <laughs> It's just funny to see the different response from the two kids because they could not have been any more different. Um, But that's the spectrum. And I I think this is the great struggle of humanity, to see things as they are. That's why the term fake news has become so popular. But we've got to be careful here because this is not a phenomenon of the 21st century. This isn't something that we struggle with and no one else before us has ever struggled with it's always been a struggle for us to see things as they are for our eyes to be fully open to the truth it's always been that way we can go all the way back to the garden right and see that that was eve's downfall that was her struggle satan presents to her a false reality and she struggles to see things the way that they really are so how does she get in that predicament all right how does she get to the point where she was willing to believe a lie? that's not a rhetor- rhetorical question all of this didn't happen in a vacuum. How did Eve get to that point? Wow. Grant, I can see that you've got something. I think I got distracted. Yes, you were still thinking. You were still thinking about Cohen. That's what you were thinking about. I been, repeat question, I'll repeat the question. <laughs> yeah. So. So, Satan presents to Eve a false reality, and she's struggling to see things the way that they really are, right? She accepts this false reality. How did she get into that predicament? Like, how did it get to the point where she was willing to believe a lie? Did that just happen immediately, or did something lead up to that? CNN. CNN, that's exactly—okay. Sermon's over, all right? You can go home. Um, CNN, exactly. Fake news. How did she, how did she get that way? So I don't
2: know if this is the answer you're looking for or not, but I think part of it was she was making herself God. She was making um, she was using her own desires as the authority in her life. Mm-hmm. What was right was determined by what she wanted to do. And of course, that, part of that had to do with uh,
1: engaging in temptation. Mm-hmm. So she that like, kind of wanted to take she wanted to take God's place, and so maybe there was that desire that temptation there before satan you know comes to her anybody else doubt, doubt? so doubt doubt of what, doubt of what yeah like it did did, did did and that's why did he really say he's playing on something that's already there right maybe she's already doubting anything else eric what's the, what would the preacher and you say man Mm. And maybe that's touching on what David was talking about
3: with being God. But uh, just mm. that unknown possibility and potential things pretty
1: alluring. Mm. And that goes along with doubt too. Yeah. Because you're doubting, you're like, is God he's holding out on me. Is he, he 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 must be holding out on me. So Paul says in Romans one that there is a direct correlation between your willingness to hold tightly to the knowledge of God and your ability to think rightly. So like my willingness to take what God said and not doubt it, but like truly hold on to it, truly trust it, and then my ability to, for my mind to think correctly about reality. Okay, He says, Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they may do what ought not to be done. So this is not complex stuff. It's pretty simple. God tells Eve, he says, you will surely die if you eat from this tree. It is plain as can be. She has the knowledge of truth. God explicitly states the reality of the situation, but she doubted and she she thought maybe he was holding out on her. She wanted to be her own God, right? She doubts. and, And in that moment, God gives her over to do what ought not be done. He gives her over to a depraved mind, and her thinking, at least in that moment, her thinking becomes futile. And I'll be honest, my first inclination, like as I was preparing this lesson, my first inclination when I think about Eve is, well, God told her the truth. You know, He, he gave her a rule, and she broke it, and now she has to accept the consequences. Those are the rules. That, that is like my natural response when I, when I read about what's going on with Eve. But when I think this way, am I missing something? Am I missing the point? Because I believe that I am missing the point. I think what I'm missing is that life is not about obeying God's rules. All right. If I would have heard that 10 years ago, I'd have been like, yes, it is. And I would have thought somebody was trying to like skirt. I would have thought somebody was trying to like try to get around the rules. Like they were like they didn't want to obey the rules. So they made a statement like that. But I believe that, that, God, that life is not about obeying God's rules. Rather, God's rules lead us to what life is really about, God, right? Like, this is the ultimate example of putting the cart before the horse. God isn't giving Adam and Eve this rule just to see if they can keep it. Now, here's this rule. Let's see if you can keep it. And if you can, you pass the test and you have accomplished your life's purpose to keep rules. That is, that is wrong thinking. He gives them this rule because it is what leads them to the source of life, which is him. He is the point. He says, eat from this tree and and you'll live. Eat from this other tree and you'll die. This rule about which tree to eat from is not the point. The point is that God is the source of life. And when we look for anything outside of him, it leads to death. That's the point. He's the source of life. And this is what God told Eve, but she didn't think it was worthwhile to hold on to what he told her. And in that moment, her mind, her her thoughts become clouded. Her mind struggles to see things as they are. Depravity creeps in and and her thinking becomes futile. And then the corruption of her mind, as her mind is corrupt, she fails to see the most important point, which is that God is life. And so when she rejects what god says she's not just rejecting god she's rejecting life itself and it's no different with us like we are in the same boat that she is right at some point we all reject god every single person in this room every person in this church every person on the face of the planet rejects god which means also that our thinking becomes futile our hearts become darkened our minds become depraved and in the futility of our thinking we abandon the only source for life. We chase, chase after all these things except for God himself. And, you know, we use those words, futile, darkened, depraved. Those are kind of like old, old words, right? Those are old words. They're ancient. And I think in some ways they've lost some of their meaning because I think we associate those words with, with people whose only goal, it seems, is to condemn. So I hear those words and I automatically hear those other people who've who've just condemned, condemned, condemned. And so I think, well, let me block those words out of my mind. But that's not Paul's goal. Paul's goal isn't to condemn. Paul's goal is to write about things as they are so that people won't be condemned, but instead be liberated, be freed. And here's the reality. When we don't hold on to what God has told us, when we do what Eve did, our minds are warped. I cannot say that enough. Our brains, the way that we think, becomes warped. They're futile. They're depraved. They're darkened. It becomes impossible for us to see things the way that they really are. That God, not His creation, so nothing He's created, not His law, not even His salvation, right? Sometimes, like, we put that up as, like, a, we worship God's salvation instead of Him. God Himself is everything we could want, the person of God. John Piper puts it this way. He says, but to enjoy him, we must know him. Seeing is savoring. If he remains a blurry, vague fog, we may be intrigued for a season, but we will not be stunned with joy as when the fog clears and you find yourself on the brink of some vast precipice. Those are good words. Our thinking isn't futile simply because we might think wrongly about what is good and what is bad, or because we don't know how to follow the rules. That's a symptom of futile thinking. The reason our thinking becomes futile when we don't retain the knowledge of God is because we think in our minds, and we all think this, we think, this is what he thought, we think we can have love or joy or peace or even life without knowing him. Our thinking is futile because we think there's some way to be satisfied, whatever it is, whatever our messed up idea of satisfaction is, you fill in the blank for you. I don't know what it is for you. But we think that there's some way to be satisfied outside of Him. We're, we're, like, we're all searching for it in places other than in Him. That's, that's called sin. It's futile thinking because it's a futile effort. Like, you, we're never going to accomplish this. This way of thinking leads to death, but it's not like the guillotine, right? The guillotine's real quick. You're like, cut your head off, you're dead, right? Probably, this, that's the way to go out, honestly, guillotine. We should. If I ever get really sick, you know, just guillotine. Sometimes it, it's, it's a slow death and it's, and it's subtle. This is how Satan works, more often than not, I think. He, he doesn't tempt us with the obvious. I've, I've quoted a Wilco song in here a bunch. When the devil came, he was not red. He was chrome. And he said, come with me. So like the point is, like the devil doesn't come at you with like things that are like he, the devil's not going to tempt me with like IV drugs at this point in my life. You know, he's going to tempt me with other things. And then, you know, maybe it gets to that point. Right. Maybe it gets to the point where I look up one day and I, and I, and I am willing to put a needle in my arm. Right. But that's not going to happen today. That that could be ten years down the road, and it starts with the subtle things, right? He starts out with a little hint of bitterness, a little a little bit of anger or resentment, maybe boredom, a little bit of apathy, stagnation, cynicism. That's a big one for me. Just just a little bit, a little hint of cynicism, lust, loneliness. And then once those things have festered, then he comes in with the more obvious. Like once you're, you're, you're weak and you're broken and you're, and you're desperate, then he comes in with the more obvious. And those are the things that lead to failed marriages, failed relationships with your children, addiction. And ultimately, Satan totally warps your mind, totally corrupts it where you can't even see what's true. You can't even see what's real. So I don't know about y'all, but everywhere I look, I see this. I see infidelity, I see addiction, I see families being torn apart, I see depression, suicide, and I'm not talking about on the news. I'm talking about people that I know. I'm talking about like people in my family, people struggling to fathom the goodness of God, struggling to th- just to see how good He is. They're doubting, like Eve, that He could possibly be as good as He says He is. People whose minds have been convinced of something that is not true. So the question becomes, does the church have anything to say about this? Do we have anything we can offer? Anything? I believe that we do. I believe that we have something pretty incredible to offer, something incredible to say about God. But I think there's an obstacle to our ability to minister to broken people. I think we have to be honest about our own brokenness, right? We have to allow people to know us. We have to open up and we have to use an old fashioned, outdated, antiquated word here. All right, get ready. We have to confess. Specifically, we have to confess our own feudal thinking and what it's led to, which is sin in our own life. Like I, I got junk in my own life that I need to confess. And then I need to get out into the open, into the light. Here's why it matters. If we're going to minister to a broken world, we have to be able to point people to God. And if we're going to point people to God, we have to know God. And you cannot know God if you do not confess your sins. I, 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 w- I texted David a couple days ago to ask him if, if that statement was true. And I think it is. I think I found a scripture to validate it. I think that's true. You cannot know God if you do not confess your sins. Listen to what uh, 1 John 1 says. So if you have the Bible, you can turn over to 1 John 1. um, This is uh, verses 5 through 10. God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus... His Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His Word is not in us. So I want to break up into groups real quick because I think this scripture is so important. I think we need to discuss it in groups. So if you can break up into groups of like five or six, Seven at most. Um, and I want you to write down at a minimum, if you can write down, if anybody has a pen and paper, if you don't, just memorize them if you can. But at a minimum, three takeaways. And I want us to make sure and focus on what it says about the fellowship with him and fellowship with one another and think about how those relate. So how does, how does fellowship with God relate to fellowship with one another? And then also think about walking in light and walking in darkness and how those relate to one another. So three, yeah. This is first, uh, first John. Five, oh, sorry, first John one five through ten. So open your Bible up, first John one five through ten. Break out into groups, just like three or four minutes here, five minutes at the most, and then uh, just three takeaways from that scripture. But specifically, how does fellowship with Him relate to fellowship with others? How do those two things coincide? And then how does walking in light and walking in darkness? How do those how do those things um, relate to one another? So go ahead.
2: Maybe you know, but if you walk in the light that he is in the light, we have fellowship with It's part, part of walking in the light, meaning you have a relationship
3: uh, with other people, walking uh, yeah, that walking in the light. I think that speaks to the importance the of that. <laughs> we have <with> each other <laughs> <laughs> and that we
4: can't well,
3: light and like first 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 day, right? Yeah, that's
1: interesting. As, as as if to say, like they don't they they don't intermingle. They don't mix. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. I think there's some real trees that ingredient. like uh, uh where, where it doesn't it mix. <laughs> <laughs> Great grants, I, I mean, grants. <laughs> it,
1: grants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 it does get confusing. It does. <laughs> yeah, they they don't
2: no light and dark right like you said like light
1: i think that god like when he created things he created the world to be like a metaphor for like life in general and so i think i think i think there is actually a lot to that like the fact that he starts out with separating the light and darkness and saying like these two will not will not mix and it is i think it's a metaphor for for him i mean he's and then anywhere he enters it becomes light you know the darkness doesn't doesn't stay I think, like, the question is, like, what is darkness? I, I, I think, like, I think we have a temptation to think that darkness is just sin. And I don't think that's what he's talking about. Because he goes on to say, like, we all have sin. And then if you confess your sin, God will purify you. So to me, the darkness is that you just, you're you're hiding from your sin. And you're not, you're not letting it, you're not letting it be known. And I, I, I think he's
3: pretty. Yeah,
1: well, Acknowledge. Right. Is it God? Yes, when it's twofold, it's acknowledging your sin and the, and that He's the answer, and that's really all the light is. Like it's not that you're free from sin or like or that you or that you don't have sin in your life, it's that you just like you acknowledge it and then you say He is the answer, and like He and that's why I, before Jesus, like it was, it would have been unbearable to walk in the light because you would have been like. You'd have been totally guilty. And he, you know, when his light shines on your sin, you'd have been like, oh my goodness, like that is, like there's a consequence for this sin and, this, and the consequence is death and I, it can't be overcome. Now, when you get all your sin out into the light and you're just honest about it, like God's like, I've, I've already paid for that. Like, that's been forgiven. And so, yeah, it is. It's, it's just walking in, and I guess, just his presence. Like if, if he's going to be there, it, it, you just ex- expose all that stuff, and he covers it. Yeah, you know, there's forgiveness there. All right, all right, guys. Uh, we're going and kind of talk about that. What, uh, what were some takeaways that y'all had from from that scripture, Peter? I know you've got some good stuff over there.
2: Yeah, all A C.
3: The
1: hair is not slicked back yeah. quite far enough, but you do have enough gel in it, so that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um,
3: so relating fellowship with God with fellowship with one another. So one thing we talked about was um, how are they different? And one thing we talked about was it's easier sometimes to confess things before God because there's not as much immediate. Uh, social ramifications or immediate uh, repercussions that you see when you confess something to God. Whereas when you, when you confess it to you know, another human who has baggage and is not all uh, unconditionally loving, and sometimes there can be uh, real-world consequences that you feel uh, more easily. And so maybe the fear of that keeps us from confessing to each other like we confess to God. Yeah. Um, but we did talk about how fellowship between God and our, you know, our fellow brothers and sisters should be the same because, you know, God has said, like, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. And so it makes sense that if you're going to have that kind of relationship, fellowshipping and confessing, you would have an equal or similar relationship. Yeah. Um, that was what i said. Yeah.
1: And we're not going to get into this, but there's this whole idea of like oneness too. Like we're one with God and with the body, so like you can't you can't not have fellowship with the body yet then have fellowship with God because there's then there's there's like a you're breaking that that oneness, which kind of speaks to that. Anybody else? predictable, maybe. Yeah. Anyone else?
3: Yeah. Everybody else is sin, but I can't show my own uh, sin. And then we also talked about if you, in verse 9, um, I think mentally when we read that, we stop at the comma and replace it with other words. So it's, we say if we confess our sins, God rips our heart out and throws our worthless bones <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. And so we don't do that. We, we stop it. We don't read it as it's written that He's faithful and just. And somehow, you know,
4: we figured
1: out a way that, to commit that one sin that His grace can't cover. Mm-hmm. So he's just gonna, you know, not do what He said He's gonna do. Anyone else? So I, I think it's I think it's fair to say that or after reading that that the degree to which you know god is impacted by the degree to which you are known by others so i think that is probably the most mild way to say that the degree to which you know god is impacted by the degree to which you're known by others so the point here is that you can't claim to fellowship with god and then live in the shadows and the reason is simple like god he's not going to fellowship with you in the shadows we talked about that a second ago God's not going to fellowship with you in the shadows he doesn't dwell in darkness uh, you know Dave was saying it's scientifically impossible right for for and I had to have David tell me this to know this that it's scientifically impossible for light to exist in darkness right the, the two they cannot coexist grant said that that was the first thing that, that God did he separated the light and the darkness as it to say that the two cannot coexist and the reason uh, and I, oh so I recently read uh and you guys might have seen this I read that fifty three percent of millennials believe they will become millionaires fifty three percent all right uh, it's, <laughs> yeah it's easy to'm'm I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an old millennial I'm. i'm still i'm still a millennial but uh i read no i'm I'm still I'm a millennial uh, <laughs> but uh but i'm gonna be a millionaire i'm gonna work I read fifty three percent all right. Um, yet the majority say they won't start saving until they're 36 right? <laughs> So, like, in other words I want to be a millionaire and I believe that I will be one but I'm not doing anything to make that happen right like it's just it's funny um, and I think that there's a good metaphor there for our relationship with God like, I don't know anybody who doesn't want love I don't know anybody who doesn't want joy or peace like we all want the fruit of the Spirit we want to feel close to God We want to feel like we know God, but we want knowledge of God. We want closeness to God, and we want the fruit of God without having to be exposed. We like the shadows because they hide these parts of us that we don't want anybody to see. And maybe it's because we think people won't understand. You know, they'll judge us or whatever. Um, But again, what it says here in 1 John is that you can't walk in the darkness and have fellowship with God. You can't know God if you're unknown to those around you. John says that when we hide our sin and walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So why do y'all think it's so hard for us to be known? Why is it so hard for us to confess to one another? And we've touched on this a little bit. But what, are the, what are the big reasons? Pride. So like, what are we proud about? Like, well, How does that play out?
3: Mm. And then
1: what other people think of you? I guess that would be the basis. most basic pride. Yeah. Maybe I maybe you think you're like you, like I'm not doing as bad as them, so I don't really have anything to confess. Anything else? I think you mentioned over here,
4: but you know, it, we all are walking in light, and so if you if that's exposed, then it looks like you're just, it's a lie. Because I think we think walking in light means that we're sinless.
1: We're, behave, we're behaving properly. So I
4: mentioned that that doesn't mean that. You know, I'm, I think that's easy for us to think, like, those walking in the light are are spotless or they're still sinners, you know. But but then it makes everything, like, look like a lie. You know, if you find out Maybe you feel hypocritical. You're, yeah, you're struggling with this or that, then, you know. You were up teaching last week and he's got that going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And that's what we were talking about in verse 7. It talks about um, if you walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, the son, cleanses from all sin. So mm-hmm. if you're in the light, you're perfect. There's the need for cleansing through mm-hmm. the blood. And so that comes back to trust. It comes back to um, feeling like you're hypocritical. Well, that's not true. I mean, yep. even if we were in the light, we're still sinners. Yep. It's that blood that washes over us that. So it's not yeah. like, well, if you're sinning, you're in darkness, and if you're perfect, then you can come hang out in this group that's in
1: the light. And, yeah, um, we still have that. With this kind of yeah, it's not hypocritical. It's the whole point, right? <laughs> like the whole point is that you're sinful. Like there's not, it's not hypocritical. Yeah, it's it's crazy how Satan does this to us, though, and we believe it. Anybody else? I think there's a big one here. The big reason that we don't confess our sin.
2: I think if I, just kind of playing off what Peter was saying earlier, and this idea of pride to we're just being kind of honest about not just the whole world, but maybe just our class, our community here, our lives, the way kind of we do life here at Highland, our culture. There's kind of this uh, temptation we want to present as if all, we've got it all together, right? So we, what we put on social media, kind of how we are tempted to kind of keep conversations superficial when we talk to each other. Because I want you guys to think my marriage is perfect, my kids are perfect, my career is going great, man if we could just be like if our family could just be like that family that sounds so sinful but i think we all kind of feel a tug at that like we want to present ourselves as if we've got it all together and of course um being open and being known and confessing your sins to each other that is destructive to this whole game Mm -hmm. and so we're really tempted uh to do everything we can to not destroy the image that we're wanting to project
1: yeah i didn't i haven't thought about that but there is a destructive nature to confession it is destructive, and it will cause. <laughs> it, it's it's not easy, right? You know, it, it's it's not easy at all. Any 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 other one? I think there's a big, big, big one that we're not mentioning here as to why we don't confess. You no, know, we justify ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> we we don't feel like we need it. Well, or we do, but we justify. Mean, if you think of the things that have been done in the name of God, yeah, uh, you know, people justify them. Yep, yep. yep. Yeah, which goes back to feudal thinking, like your mind's warped. You think you're doing right, but you're not. I, I think a big one is shame. We didn't mention that. Um, I think people are so... I think some people are so ashamed of the things that they've done that they cannot... Dudley mentioned this, you can't possibly fathom that anyone would ever understand. No one would ever understand because what I've done is so egregious or so 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 out there and so different from everybody else's sin that I've got to hide it and I've got to stay in the shadows. The truth is we should feel shameful about sin, right? Sin should make us feel shame, but shame becomes toxic when we begin to think that we're the only one struggling with fill in the blank or that God could never forgive blank or that because I did blank, my life can never be made right. That's when shame, like God, Satan uses something that's that's good and he turns it into something that's bad and something that's toxic. You start thinking that you're the only one. And, and, and pride, it's just silly. Like We've, <laughs> we've nothing to be prideful for. for. Like we've, we've got nothing to bring to the table. Fuel thinking, darkened hearts, depraved minds. This is who all of us are when we don't think what God has told us is worth holding on to. And it is what leads us to what we talked about earlier, this slow death. And we may think that we're immune, but we're not. I recently got an email from Bill Ivey last week that said there's an epidemic of marriages falling apart at Highland right now, like in our church, in in our community. Death and darkness are not just this problem out in the world or, or on the news or on CNN or Fox News, right? It's not just out there. Death and darkness are a problem here at home, in our church, in our homes, in my life usual thinking is a problem here depraved minds are a problem here now as i was writing this i was thinking man that sounds kind of offensive maybe i should tone that down maybe i should like tone the language down and then i immediately thought that thinking me thinking that is straight from the pits of hell i believe that straight from satan himself he wants us to dress up our sin i think he wants that to cover it and hide it he likes it when we use like cute little euphemisms that take away the sting of just how bad things are. Sin is catastrophic. It is totally destructive. It destroys everything. It is impossible for me to speak in a language that is too extreme because sin takes everything. And you don't have to look far in your own lives. Like, look at people that you know whose marriages are falling apart or friends or family members that you know who, who are struggling with addiction. It, it is everywhere and it is it has taken root in, in our lives in some way or another, in all of us. Yeah.
4: Something else I was sitting there thinking, because um, sometimes you're hearing about all these like huge things that could in the dark or whatever, but but I mean, I find myself thinking, this is kind of embarrassing, but like, I'm like, I'm doing all right. Yeah. I don't Yeah. have like these deep, dark secrets. But, you know, like, but I sometimes resent my kids to the point that, like, I don't like them. So, I don't even know I'm praying. sorry. But, but I think there's, a, like, there are also sins that, like, we don't think are, like, that sinful, you know? But where I'm, like, thinking terrible thought, you know what I'm saying? And so, or, like, completely selfish with my time to where, like, it's wrong or, so, does that make sense? Like, mm. I think we're, like, leaving out a whole category of people that maybe aren't struggling with, some huge thing but like it's, it is the same thing that will eventually lead to like greater things that's right I, yeah, so yeah. the same thing
2: here, but even if you're not um, even if you're just passive yeah
1: I think those little things lead to the bigger things too. I think that's the key. Is you think, oh, my marriage will? N- well, I'll never deal with that. <laughs> no one gets married thinking that. Like no one thinks oh, I'll have a needle in my arm. Like, like I, my my first cousin, the uh, CPA, brilliant guy, just just committed suicide in jail because he was addicted to fentanyl two months ago. Like, he, he never would have thought that. You know, and it starts out. With, that's how Satan works. He starts out with the little stuff. And then he, and then it becomes bigger. Um, do you ever resent me Is that all? Is that, is that ever happen? <laughs> <laughs> Just the kids, yeah. not me. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so, um, all right. So anyway, I, I was going to read this. I'm not going to read it. But Paul basically says this is everybody. Everybody's thoughts are dark, and are, all of us have, have lost our way. I mean, nobody's immune from this. And if you think you are, you're 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 lying to yourself. But God is good. I think that, so out of all this, out of all the despair and sadness and, you know, man, we're so sad, the the message is is that there's hope. There is hope. God has the ability to change us. He can. And I think that's what we doubt sometimes, too. That's where doubt creeps in. Can God really do that? Because I don't think we believe that a lot of times. I don't think I believe that God can change the way I feel about my kids or my husband or whatever, you're struggling with. God can't change that. No, He can. God has the ability to change us, and He has promised us that He will change us, and He has been faithful in changing us. He's already doing this in people. It doesn't always happen overnight. You know, it doesn't always, and it won't happen to perfection until you're dead, honestly. (laughs) You're going to struggle until you're buried in the ground. But there is a process of change that happens in your mind. God's faithful in that. He's already doing this. He's taking futile thoughts and he's changing them to meaningful, productive thoughts. He's, he's taking depraved minds and he's making them pure. There's a reason to celebrate and there's a reason to be hopeful. But maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe you've prayed to God for change and nothing has happened. So maybe you think, well, what's the point? I say that because I've been at that point where I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed, and I've prayed more and I've asked God and I've asked God and nothing changed. I didn't change nothing in me changed the question i would ask is i i I think i i think i one day identify why things were not changing and the question i would ask is are you living in the shadows are you hiding in darkness do people know what you're struggling with (laughs) like you can't god is not going to do anything with you while you're in the darkness he doesn't dwell in darkness we want just like those millennials who want to be millionaires but they don't, they're not going to start saving until they're 36. We want to know God, but we don't want to be known. John, sa- John says, If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Walking in the light means... Fellowship with one another. It means being known, not hiding in the shadows. John says that fellowship with God and fellowship with one another go hand in hand. If we want to know God, we must be willing to be known. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful. We can trust that. He's faithful and just and forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession leads to purification, a purified heart, and a purified mind. And this is how we know God. We begin to think like Him. We begin to act like Him. We begin to be like Him. And ultimately, we become one with Him. Um, We're out of time. Read 1 Corinthians 2 about the mind of Christ. And that's what we've been given, is the mind of Christ. So I'll pray real quick, and then uh, we can be done. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus. We are so grateful for the love and the forgiveness and the mercy that you give us. And God, I pray that we walk in light. Um, that we're not afraid to confess our sins, that we know that that they've already been forgiven and that uh, they've been covered and that we have nothing to be um, shameful for when we confess and we repent, God, but that you change us, that you forgive us, you make us holy, and you change our minds, you change our hearts, and um, you make our darkened hearts uh, full of light, God. We love you. Uh, We're we're so grateful for the church and so grateful for Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen.
0: Okay, so I want to thank Grant for doing a fabulous job. Looking forward to the next four weeks on this topic. I think it's going to be really great. Uh, We're actually off next week. There's a church-wide event. We'll be back the week after with Dr. Kevin Shelby. Uh, He works at Harding School of Theology. Uh, He also has a a counseling practice, and so he's perfect to... uh, talk about these topics with intimacy that he speaks on all the time. Uh, So we'll do three weeks with Kevin, and then lastly, Bill Abbey will wrap things up. So um, I hope this uh, week was helpful to you. Look forward to more weeks together on this topic of intimacy, and just have a wonderful week, and uh, just hope it's a good one for you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.